0: Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of How to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. And this week, I'm very pleased to have joining me is Nicole Brasser-Jordan, who's the uh, Deputy Director of the New Hampshire Liquor Control Commission and she's on right now so nicole why don't you uh, give us a brief bio of you and we can dig into it
1: well good morning or good afternoon steve as you said my name is nicole broussard jordan i've been working with the liquor commission for 33 years i'm currently the deputy commissioner and prior to this i was a director of marketing sales warehousing and merchandising very honored to be on this podcast with you and i look forward to the topic of italian wines it's one of my favorites Good.
0: So let's talk about the Liquor Commission and, and give us kind of an overview of the philosophy of why it exists and how it stands out in the scheme of all the other control states.
1: Okay. Well, you know, listeners may or may not know that there are 17 controlled states left in the US from Prohibition, New Hampshire being one of them. I mean, we do have a couple of others surrounding us, Vermont as well as Maine. And these are where the alcohol sales are actually managed by the individual states. New Hampshire has 69 outlets that we operate throughout the state, and our philosophy is really simple. We want consumers to have an outstanding shopping experience, great selection, and outstanding savings, which is why we call it an outlet. We service about 12 million customers annually and last fiscal year we ended at about 750 million dollars in sales and we expect to eclipse that this year to just under 800 million.
0: I think that's really significant the size of it is it's not astonishing but it's significant and for a lot of people not from the US they're thinking about you know grocery chains and Or chains like Total Wine and so forth. But the control states, uh, in many cases, dwarf those.
1: They do. And, you know, I say it because I work for the New Hampshire Liquor Commission and I'm part of it. But, you know, we are the number one controlled state in my mind. And a lot of other controlled states look to us for best practices and visit New Hampshire to get some ideas on how they can enhance their stores or have better communication with their customers. They've been to many of our events. There's just a number of things that we offer some best practices for, for other controlled states.
0: And I could support that. I've, I've been to, uh, well, mostly <laughs> highway stores, but I've been there a lot. I shop there and, um, and I've been to pretty much every other control state. And I think you guys do the best job in terms of merchandising. I guess the easiest way to say it, you look like a regular liquor store, not a control state store.
1: And that's what we hope. We hope that consumers see us as a national retailer when they come here you know we've we've spent an awful lot of time renovating and relocating our stores and enhancing the shopping experience as i talked about so 30 of those locations have been done in the last let's say 9 years and though we're not stopping there we have many more in the queue for this coming year and we'll have many more in the future until we get to all of our stores being renovated and relocated or updated
0: when i think about control states one of the key benefits I stress to clients that I consult with is the consistency in execution that you can get from a control state that you cannot get in an open state. So if you do a deal with control states that have X number of displays or this kind of promotional support or particular shelf positioning, it's pretty much guaranteed that it will get executed exactly and in full. There's no way you can make that happen in the open states. You're kind of reliant on the distributor and the individual retail stores take new york that's really difficult to do
1: that's correct they're basically knocking door to door and you know when they come to us we're talking about you know 69 locations throughout the state so yes we execute products really well it's very clear we partner with our suppliers and wineries and distilleries that want to work with us you know, we have many opportunities for their brands to be successful, but it's a partnership. And, and, and we really look at it that way.
0: That's very refreshing. I'm not going to say it's rare, but we don't often hear that that much in open states simply because there's no one person in charge. I mean, if you're just talking to the state liquor authority, they're usually lawyers trying to tell you that you can't do whatever it is you're calling to ask, can I do this? At least that's been my experience. But one of the issues of retail stores in general is the ability to staff it with people who are knowledgeable enough to help the consumer ask questions, answer questions, and learn things, and then the role of in-store point of sale, shelf talkers, case cards, and those kinds of things. If your goal is to work collaboratively with the producer to make a better experience for the consumer, what kind of support do you guys rely on to extend what the individual people in the stores can provide?
1: Well, let me just first say that all of those key things that you had mentioned are very important. And we do educational training. We have a designated educator in wine, and he also does spirits for our staff in the stores. So that is a big component of that. Obviously, we do a number of events throughout the year, and we have a spirits week that's designated in November, and we also have a wine week, which is designated in January. And those have been going on for many years. And... Our staff go to those events to learn and meet the producers themselves, and that's what we pride ourselves on is to have a lot of those producers come to those events so that they can talk not only with our staff but also the consumers that they that purchase their products so they're building brand ambassadors within the state or you know let's just say there's probably an awful lot of people from Massachusetts and as you are from Connecticut coming up to these events uh, that also spread the word when you go home, that you've met them and you've tried their wines, and you're really excited about them and you tell all your friends, which is which is a great position for producers to be in, to be able to talk to them and tell them the stories, because that's so important when it comes to really reaching consumers. You know we've we've got great relationships with with many producers in Italy. And they are ambassadors and want to come here every single year for our events for that reason. They want, to, they want to talk to those consumers and they see results. That's the other part of this. Those events really do show results for these producers and consumers show that they're purchasing those, those products right through and well after those events.
0: That raises a question. What level of data is accessible by suppliers?
1: We supply all of the data to the broker who is in state that works on behalf of the supplier. We do have a broker community, and it's very important. And the reason that I say that is you know, we're running a wholesale business as well as a retail business. You need to have people on the streets for these specific brands, which is why they work with local brokers. So they'll go to the restaurants, they will do events at restaurants. They will also bring point-of-sale materials to us and other off-premise accounts that sell those products. So, you know, it's very, very important to have that broker community and those boots on the street regarding those various suppliers and producers.
0: And speaking about Italy in particular, you said you've been to Vin Italy. How many times and how recently?
1: Yes. My last trip was in 2017. Started in 2012. So I was five consecutive years of Vin Italy. It's a great experience, and it's uh, it's amazing to be able to not only see Vin Italy for the for what it is, and you know the booze, they are not your typical booze that you would see in you know <laughs> a home show or anything like that. They really are works of art, and it's 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 stunning to go. But then to be able to meet the people and be entrenched in the culture is is just amazing and it really brings things to perspective. You know, I've said to consumers for, for many, many years that we take it for granted. We open that bottle and we don't realize how much work has gone into providing that bottle for us to have at our dinner tables or in celebration. So it brings it into a whole new perspective when you go to wine country and you see farming aspects and then the winemaking aspects and then to go to bottle and then to go to market, which is very difficult to reach those consumers. So it's a challenging business for everyone. So in addition
0: to having gone to Vin Italy, have you had the opportunity to travel in any of the wine growing regions, either through like Eche or Vinitaly sponsored trips or anything on your own?
1: No, I haven't. But we, we do go to various areas. We did go to Mexico purchasing tequila for many years in a row. Our spirits buyer also goes out to Kentucky to purchase bourbon wine buyers. And myself being a wine buyer in the past for us, went out to California pretty much every single year to purchase for our para Buy program, which is a, a, a very big program of bringing great wines to consumers at you know, half off their normal retail prices. So when you
0: were a wine buyer, you did go to Vin Italy five times. But the question I asked, I think, was, have you been to any of the individual wine countries? Is that something you would be interested in for you or your staff? because maybe we can make something happen.
1: Well, thank you. We do get offered that many times, just so you know.
0: <laughs> okay, good, good, good.
1: We are a state entity and we do, we do look at those things. They are educational, of course, but there's also opportunities for purchasing.
0: And that's kind of the big thing with Vin Italy, differentiating it from anything that happens in the U.S., either NAPCA, which is National Association of Beverage Control Associations or something like that. Alcohol Control Associations, which is a control state organization, and also at WSWA. And the difference in America is we don't really get the retailers involved, except insofar as with Napca, their retailers are like New Hampshire and Pennsylvania uh, by default. So when you go to Vin Italy as a buyer, what kind of things are you looking at and looking for? And how do you qualify and quantify what you're looking for?
1: Well, you know, Vin Italy is so big and very overwhelming. I always, we always went with a plan. We would set up all the appointments and we would know exactly where we needed to be on what day. Of course, you were always late because the previous appointment would always go over, but we were always and it was a mile away when you're done. And it was a mile away because this is a very large event and, and people really don't realize until you get there how large it is. I can tell you my feet were killing me every single day and I am an avid uh, cyclist and runner. So it's not like I'm not afraid to be on my feet. It's a big, big event. But yeah, we have to go with a plan, and we're looking for opportunities for our Power Buy program as well as new opportunities and new areas or varietals that we think are important.
0: And how do you make those judgments? Power Buy area, is it just, uh, as an example, is that just by XLR price, or are you looking for the combination of story, support, and XLR price?
1: You know, I'll just say that every single one of those Power Buys are tasted. They have to meet that criteria first. We want those products to over deliver for the price that we're selling and be 50% off the retail that they would normally sell for. And you know, we do that because we want to offer consumers something that they couldn't otherwise get. And what we all need to remember is the wine businesses, you know, it it can be difficult and they have to manage inventory levels of wine. You know, there may be, you know, a very high tonnage vintage that once it comes out of tank needs to go into bottle and you know that can vary by many, many, many cases. And then they have to make room if they don't sell it all through, they have to make room for the new bottling. So you know, these are opportunities that we take advantage of in working with those business partners to bring to our consumers by having those products at those really great prices, but yet they are stellar wines and they over deliver. And a lot of them, I'll honestly say, the 20 to $50 range are the ones that sell the most for us.
0: Yeah. When I go there, that's what I buy. So. That's great. <laughs> for, for just that reason. So uh, <laughs> thinking about Italy again, give us an example of... Some things that you guys have brought in, I realize you're not a buyer anymore, but you're certainly aware of what's coming in, that represent trends for Italian wines in the U.S. I mean, we know about Prosecco and some of those things, but talk a little
1: bit about that. Yeah, certainly Prosecco has definitely taken off. We've seen that for a number of years. Lambrusco has has come in. It's still a very yeah. small category you know but people are starting to warm up to it it's really funny because you know when it comes to italian wines and i'm just going to go back to a producer that we worked with and we actually wrote a label for because we said to him you have really great wines and we want new hampshire consumers to try an entry level wine with the varietal on the front of the label and we wanted to say sangiovese and lo and which, behold, which
0: they can't really do, though, because <laughs> DOC requirements.
1: We did. Okay? Yeah. We did do it. We did do it. So we had a producer and we wrote the back label copy so that it was what do you pair it with and all those things um, and where it was from. But in this particular case, to put Sangiovese on the front label, it was off the charts. It was off the charts. So New Hampshire was the, the beta test for it. And now he's selling it throughout the United States. So it's just something that you know Italian producers may not understand that the U.S. market doesn't understand the village concept or the town concept. Us in the wine business do understand it. We understand that you have to know those things and you have to know the varietals within those areas. But in this particular case, we wanted to show consumers that here's the varietal and it's right there and you can't miss it. And by the way, this is by a producer that you really know. And you've purchased their wines, and you can really enjoy this wine out by the campfire, having pizza out by the barbecue. Really, anything. It sounds
0: like you really don't like that wine. And no, that's great that you're in support of it. I mean, you're. It's great to hear because you know the first thing I hear from people when I talk to them about coming to the U.S. is you know they make they say I make a really great wine, and it's almost like I'm stipulating that everybody makes wine. Technically, nowadays, you shouldn't be offering wine for sale that isn't. Great for whatever it is either the price or the style or, or the the target audience, so the quality of the wine itself is one very important part but and the foundation, but it's not necessarily the shiny part, and the it, people need a direction, and the direction is what's in it and if you you know, as you say tuscan wine uh, <laughs> how can you relate to it
1: all right what's in it what's in it of where is it where is it from yeah.
0: A couple of things that I've been involved in, I'm curious to have your point of view on, that I've traveled to these areas and been really impressed. And we're only seeing some pickup in the US. Uh, two in particular are Trento DOC and uh, sparkling wine made in the traditional manner, if you will, with second fermentation in the bottle. And the other one is Chiretto, which is the uh, rosé wine of Valpolicella and the Veneto. Have you had any experience with those? Have they been pitched to you? What's your reaction to those?
1: Yes, we've had some, we've had some, not a lot, but we have had some. And, you know, we have to be selective, you know, depending on how many, how many products we get in small niche areas, do we think we can actually sell those products? But something that I talked about is we have to partner with these people. So if they're willing to come to New Hampshire, do events, meet consumers, talk about their wines, that's certainly going to help them. Of course, point of sale materials is always very, very important at the point of purchase. But we also offer a number of other things. We have in-store televisions, we have in-store radio, we have advertising on our website, we have in-store digital advertising in certain locations. So there's many opportunities as well as a print publication for them to market their product.
0: Let's move on to, we've talked about this, that you know there's the on-premise, there's the off-premise, and now everyone's talking about the e-premise. Can you talk about how you guys are getting involved in that? And that that incorporates not only e-commerce itself, but also the concepts of in-store curbside pickup and where New Hampshire is and where you guys are going.
1: Well, of course, the onset of COVID, it made us have to accelerate the things that we were working on. And we did put a curbside and in-store pickup in place in the spring of 2020 to help consumers. At the same time, we were, we've we been working on a whole new POS system and also a website. We launched the new website in September, which also included our curbside and in-store pickup, but you purchase online. You pay for it online, which is not something we could do with the old system. So when we went live with the curbside and in-store pickup in the spring, People couldn't pay for it online. They, they actually paid for it when they arrived at the store, at their car on the curbside, or they came into the into the store and purchased it at that time. So now we've transitioned. We now have 15 stores that are up and running with curbside and in-store pickup. You go right on our website and you can purchase the products and consumers will go to one of those stores to pick it up, either, like we said, curbside or in-store. And since we actually have launched that new online purchasing, we've done 1.5 million in a very short period of time and done over 8,000 various orders. So we're very excited about that opportunity. We think it's, you know, it's the wave of the future. And the next thing that we're going to be doing, we're hoping to launch in the spring of 2021 will be in-state delivery. So... Yeah, we're, we're, we're fast-tracking things. That's
0: pretty progressive for uh, <laughs>
1: for controlled state. For a controlled state? <laughs> oh, I want to know if that's pretty progressive for a retailer, <laughs> national retailer.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. One of the programs that you have, segueing away from e-commerce, is a program with ICE, the Italian Trade Commission, ICE, and sometimes also called ITA. I-T-A. Can you tell us about that relationship?
1: Yeah, you know, as we talked about, Vin Italy was was part of that. I mean, you know, we went to Ven Italy, but not only were we just meeting with producers that we set up appointments with, we did events with the Italian Trade Commission, and one of them, just like your book, was going to to the market in the U.S. So we had a we were on a panel, and a lot of small producers were asking us questions. We had meetings with various producers that just wanted to ask questions one-on-one. So we made ourselves available for the Italian Trade Commission to have us talk to producers that they felt strongly about.
0: One point you made when we had our initial conversation here is you made a comment about um, building relationships and working together so that everyone makes money. I think, to a degree, the experience of many producers from outside the U.S. is it's just function of price. And, you know, how low can you go? And it sounds like you have, a you guys have a more holistic, if you will, perspective on that, that is more than just buying cheap.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, the consumer is going to dictate what they're going to pay for our product, you know, and um, our partnership has to get us to the fair price. And also when we're going to put those items on sale and, you know, regular programming, so the consumers can see that you know we're willing to put some money behind these brands. So you know there is there is an approach where you have to all work together. So whether it be the POS, you know we'll, we'll need ratings, you know we'll need all of those things that help sell wine, and of course the stories right behind them. You know the the other thing that that COVID made us do as a as a retailer is. That we had to pivot a lot of these events to, you know, online and social media. So we're doing a lot of Facebook lives. I mean, a lot <laughs> on a weekly basis. And we, we had replaced our major events, the two that I talked about, Spirits Week and Wine Week, with 90 days around the world. And it was meant to bring the consumers and the producers together to taste and talk about wine together. So we would give them a list of wines that would be talked about. And then they could purchase them prior to their Facebook Live. They'd sign up to be able to go to that. And then, of course, we gave them some discounts on those wines after they participated. So, you know, it, it is a partnership and we're all going to give a little. and But we all do need to make money. So, you know, at some point we have to decide, is this is this product going to make it or is it not going to make it? How are we going to how, what are we going to do to help it make it? And then we just have those conversations about, all right, what's next? Where do we go? Well,
0: that's great. And and my understanding of the way that the uh, virtual tastings work is when we think about traditional fam trips, you know, where journalists or buyers are brought on trips and, you know, you're there for a week and you do four or five wineries a day and it becomes a, a buzz. You know, you might be able to bring over twenty, max forty. I've been on a couple that are that large, but my understanding of the way the virtual events are, you can have hundreds of people participating in these things. You absolutely can. So the reach is better, right? So it's the reach is better, more cost effective and efficient. It's, you know, the reach is better.
1: The reach is better, and you know, we've had hundreds of people on some of these events, but you know, those stay there. So we actually keep them on our website so the consumers can go back and watch them. And we've had thousands and thousands of people go back and watch these. That's cool. I
0: think it's analogous to something else I see. There's a couple of stores that I know that have extremely uh, capable writers and who are Mm -hmm. posting like maybe three or four times a week, long form, and many, many thousands of buyers. And these are people who buy pretty much not exclusively, but specifically from that particular store. So in terms of the power of communications, getting involved and associated with a major retailer like the New Hampshire Liquor Commission is uh, a win-win for everybody.
1: Sure is, sure is. And and we do have a very experienced wine writer on our staff as well. So he's he's putting out, he's the educator, of course. So he's putting out an awful lot of information on our behalf and you know, our store folks love it, but also the consumers love it. He had a column in one of our our publications that we've done away with and replaced with something else, but he had a fan following like you wouldn't believe. You want to give him a shout out? Gordon Hines does a great job for us. Okay, Gordon, thank you very much for that. Yeah.
0: One of the major strengths of a big retail network with many, many stores is the ability to strike deals for products that are not just the existing brands that are in the bottles. You want to talk about that?
1: Correct. Yeah. So on some of those trips that I I had mentioned, in the case of spirits, I talked about Mexico. So our spirits buyer had gone to Mexico and and has gone for a number of years. Either sometimes he goes, sometimes he does doesn't go. But we we taste a bunch of samples of actual single barrels that he selects for our consumers. So we have an entire section dedicated to New Hampshire-only spirit buys, and these are single barrels. So you get to taste them, you purchase them, you have them once. You'll be lucky to go back and find the same bottle for any period of time because when it's gone, it's gone, and you have to wait until the next barrel buys come out. But we do offer a lot of that.
0: We're coming to the end of uh, of our time allotment, but one of the questions uh, I want to ask is, the big takeaway: What uh, people who are listening this want to know. Okay, I, I used to call these when I was um, a journalist "wrench stories," meaning if you're in the agricultural business, that you could read the article and go out and fix the tractor, right? What is the big takeaway from some of the things that we talked about from you about how people might be able to work with New
1: Hampshire? I think people just need to know that we're open. We're open to have conversations, to look at the products that are being offered determine whether or not it's viable in our system, and understand what type of opportunities they have to help us sell these products. So I think that the partnership is really the most important part that we are willing to have. And we're not, we're not closed-minded. We're not going to just say, this is the number, this is the number, without you know, talking about how you know, we think it would best go to market in our market. And as far as consumers go, you've got to come to New Hampshire and shop if you haven't seen our stores because they're amazing. I mean, how many other retails across the United States have a 33,000-square-foot store dedicated to wine and spirits with an educational center?
0: Yeah, the range of of products that are on offer are significant. Thank I you. I think we, we buried the lead, and you just said it. New Hampshire, the simple way to think about it is it's the open control state. There you go. I love it. You said it. It, it was... Uh, I it's a fabulous line. Fabulous line, and and as I think about it, that really makes a whole lot of sense. Um, without calling anyone to task, there are some other states that you know make it a little bit harder to work with because I, I know what the the remit is. You it's also controlling sales of alcohol and preventing. Abuse and all those kinds of things. So I get that both of those things are important. And that's something that actually, maybe make one last comment, if you would, about the challenges of promoting drinking the products that you have offered to sell. And yet the mandate for the commission itself is.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we want everyone to consume responsibly. Period. That's you know that's how that goes. We want we we definitely have to do both. So we're a retailer and we do enforce the liquor laws, but we want people to be responsible and we want to allow them to enjoy it responsibly.
0: I would call that enlightened. Um, I did want to point out a, a couple of things. The New Hampshire Liquor Commission site is www liquor and wine Outlets. .com, and they have a bunch of uh, resources there that you can check out. And there's also a great video on Vimeo. I'm not going to read the number because no one will retain it, but if you go to Vimeo and look up New Hampshire Liquor Commission, you'll be able to see it and see some of the things that they, the State Commission offers to the trade. So is there anything else you want to um, make mention of? You know, We talked about the websites and stuff, but uh, anything
1: you want to... Uh, can I talk about bait and switch? I'd love to hear it. Yes. <laughs> we do not bait and switch. So our programs, you know, the Power Buy program was put together to as we talked about deliver consumers really great products at really great prices and 50% off their normal retail price. This is unlike some other retailers that that decide to do private labels. In the case of private labels, you don't necessarily have a sense of place. And when it comes to our Power Buy program, there is a sense of place and you can tar- you can target it to a specific winery and a specific story of that producer. Private labels, sometimes it's very difficult to do because they don't want actually their name out there. So that's some of the programs that New Hampshire has to offer our consumers. And we want, we want people to know that we definitely do not bait and switch. We do not get them in with a low price on, let's say Tito's, and turn you over to another brand that is close to that specific product. So the New Hampshire way is let's do the brands Let's talk the talk, and let's make sure that people understand that we're offering products that are a sense of place, and there's people behind them.
0: It sounds like a real New England sense of values. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, Thank you to Nicole Brassard-Jordan, Deputy Director of New Hampshire Liquor Commission. Wonderful to have you along. I think it was a great conversation. I personally enjoyed it immensely, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you the next time I head up towards near concord
1: likewise i hope you do reach out please you have my email let me know when you're coming
0: okay thanks a lot nicole
1: (laughs) all right take care steve
0: this is steve ray saying thanks again for listening on behalf of the italian wine podcast